I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflit. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And Michael, you can call us Gwen Stefani because this is bananas, B-A-N-A-N-A-S. And you can also call us the front of the plane because we are all business to begin with. You can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at podcast horseman please do give us a follow let us know your favorite things about the show so far this season so far and everything you love about bojack horseman basically we want you to talk yourself horse about your favorite talking horse you can also uh, follow either of your hosts on twitter you can follow myself at it's adam nicholas or you can follow michael hamflet at Michael Hamflet, and you can catch this podcast on Napster and Winamp. Hang on, it's not 2007, it's 2020. Uh-huh. You can download this podcast on Apple Podcasts, you can follow on Spotify, you can get it through Stitcher or Acast or pretty much anywhere you find your podcast. It'll also be there on our Twitter account, at Podcast Horseman. That'll be there every Friday for you to listen through the Twitter account. We'd love you to subscribe or follow, as we always say, leave us a five-star review. It can be nasty, it can be nice, it can be anything. You have a good chance of getting read out on this show and being inducted into the Hollywood Talk of Fame. And as we teased for the first time last week, a special for season three, for anyone retweeting that podcast link that we put up on Friday, you yourself can be entered into the Hollywood Talk of Fame and we'll be inducting somebody through this very method later on in the show. Hooray! No question marks, though. I just think it's a good thing. <laughs> nice uh, but exactly, a nice thing to have. And thank you to everybody who so far uh, joined mm. in with that. It's massively helpful to us and it's always nice to interact with the guys and gals who like themselves a bit of podcast horsemen. But for those of you who like Bojack Horseman, you came to the right place because this is season one of episode two, and it is indeed double whammy Bojack Horseman because within Bojack Horseman, we have the episode, The Bojack Horseman Show, something we've heard quite a bit about up to this point. In 2007, Princess Carolyn finds a new project for Bojack. Diane meets Mr. Peanut Butter at the coffee shop where she works, and Todd kisses a girl. And he likes it, I've heard, which is even better. (laughs) Yeah, so this episode, um, as you said, starts off, I should point out, having not read the bio, it starts off in quite a cute fashion because there are two people running up the hill instead of one today outside Bojack's house. And Bojack and Princess Carolyn are talking about the fact that they've just slept together and it's a little bit weird until Bojack's half seven in the morning radio alarm goes off 
uh, playing Rihanna's umbrella and revealing that it is 2007 through some, as always, clunky, expositional, on-the-nose dialogue from the brilliant writers uh, that want to let you know that it is indeed this time period. She's got to get to work as the assistant of Bojack's agent, Marv Sabarbery. Uh, Bojack is still knocking work back, believing the horse and around was his opus, despite the fact that it ended 11 years ago, um, obviously up to this point. Uh, Bojack tries to convince uh, Princess Carolyn to stay and watch something on his HD DVD player. They can get wrecked and get Shrek to quote him. Uh, Shrek really was great in HD when he saw it for the first time. Uh, but Princess Carolyn doesn't want to make a thing of this. She makes it very clear that she's not interested in mixing their personal and professional lives in this point. We are led to believe that this has maybe only happened for the first time. Um, they laugh awkwardly over the fact that at least done it once. She's off to work and we hit the credits. Uh, a relatively short and succinct cold open but it achieved a great deal all the same. We saw, obviously, that it was set in 2007 and we were going to be hit over the head with that a long time in that wonderful Bojack way. But that uh, Bojack and Princess Carolyn, if not was the start of the cycle, have been trapped in a cycle that they would continue to be trapped in right to the pilot of Bojack Horseman itself, which, of course, started in 2014. Um, Princess Carolyn as the assistant here, despite already trying to do work on the side as Bojack's kind of real-life agent underneath Marv doing nothing for him. Bojack knocking back work, which is obviously where we found him in 2014. There was so much here that reminded you that Bojack's life was on pause since horsing around ended in the mid nineties, about 96, 97, we're, we're left to work out for ourselves here, which is ironically where the pilot started at. So this happened to be a date in 2007, but it effectively could have been any date from the end of horsing around through to the start of Bojack Horseman, the Netflix show. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's weird how much, how much you think or can see things have actually changed from the pilot episode up until mm. like, now, obviously, this is a flashback episode to give us that perspective, but up until that point, so much has changed in a forward motion, but really, he's just put his whole life on, like, literally on pause this whole time, and I think it might even be fair to say he might even be maybe more of a depressed horse, maybe, at this point, fascinating to see, as well as the amazing sort of interactions between him and Princess Carolyn, who just were in so much denial at this point. Yeah, the idea, obviously, that she is still waiting for that next big move in a career and this doesn't want this relationship, whatever it is or whatever it isn't, to get in the way of it at this point. And Bojack's denial is spot on. The time stamping of it I thought was really interesting, again, in the callback to the very pilot, because in the first, obviously, first moments of the first episode, it's Bojack being asked where he's been for the last 20 years. Here, it's effectively Princess Carolyn bringing it to him, well, what have you done for the last 11? This is a question he has been batting back from the day that that show left the air, um, right up until the pilot of the Netflix show. This episode we're about to review will go into one of those reasons why, but it's just something that he's been dealing with. That, aren't you the horse from horsing around? In other terms, you know, there's been other ways that people are phrasing that question, but that has been his entire existence since Horse and Round went away. From there, rather than obviously we would normally catch up with Princess Carolyn later in the view, from there we will briefly touch on uh, the rest of the setup of this episode because it is obviously all designed to let you know that it's in 2007. She is driving to work in her car uh, with a pop song with lyrics about auto-tune pop songs, repeatedly mentioning that it's 2007. This, of course, is a very cute callback to Bojack doing that in his car in an episode that had various flashbacks of time period. This is one of the numerous ways that they like to timestamp episodes. Uh, she passes young Todd and a girl talking about who they like. We have them at about 16, 17-year-old here. Um, the girl notes that she's uh, not allowed to like anybody because her dad is very strict. Uh, quote, you know that show The Sopranos about the mob 
that's what my dad does. Um, Todd looks a little bit sort of fearful about the prospect of that, but they head off to a flash mob together and it almost says that she loves Todd before just managed to change to, I love you, Bisoft Assassin's Creed, because as the song playing in the cars going past is, it ain't 2006, it's 2007, which of course is when Assassin's Creed came out. Um, again, very conscious not to tread on your toes with all the little things. But they are just, as they always do with this, they are incredible at this in ways that expose and embarrass other forms of television trying to do it themselves. There's no way back from how you view a show, any show. This is not us picking on the usual sitcom victims here. There's no way back from being able to watch an episode that is trying to costume its characters from a certain time period or use radio or use television or references or whatever, once you've seen Bojack skewer the form. Yeah, it really does. It completely ruins other shows for you, Bojack Horseman. <laughs> in many ways, I will say, but this one in particular is just that way that it just completely and utterly shatters any chance that anybody can use any form of exposition because how many times have we seen it done so lazily as well mm. i actually think this is the best way to do it make yeah. a mockery of it and completely fly in the face of it and as a man who had to go through all of the tiny bits <laughs> of this episode i can tell you they have done their very best to do just that i think what they've done they've found art in what is effectively artless every show that tries to do it there are so few that get it even close to right or don't do it without at least the exposition is so on the nose that you can't then really think about the plot of the episode because you're left looking and you're left staring and like listening out for the little references and things like that their on the nose artlessness is what makes this quite an artistic way to do it as you say they've kind of found the perfect approach by well bantering the existing one off the face of the planet there is no way left to go bojack is they've kind of mastered the form here in a way that nobody ever has done before um Inside a coffee shop, uh, Mr. Peanut Butter and his wife, Jessica Beale, are bickering slightly over him uh, doing commercial uh, commercials that he shouldn't really do. She's talking about her film opportunities. They get to the counter. They're about to be served by a young Diane. She's, of course, working at the coffee shop. There is a slight clue before we get that because the coffee shop is modelled on the exact one that Mr. Peanut Butter set up for Diane's birthday uh, last season. So we're kind of left to imply that, but it's the camera pull out the dramatic shot of Diane, name tagged as Blan. Uh, work in the coffee shop counter. Um, <laughs> Mr. Peanut Butter refers to Jessica as his second and final wife as he's doing the coffee orders with Diane, which is a nice little sweet bit of dialogue, obviously. Um, Diane brilliantly doesn't actually know Jessica Beale's name without Jessica Beale going through her entire career. And even then, it's from her saying, quote, the girl from Seventh Heaven who took off her clothes for that magazine. Um, it's a great touch, this, obviously, because they're, they're giving a gift to the viewer of knowing that. Mr. Peanut Butter is in yet another failed marriage. We've obviously seen the breakdown of his first one at an awards party last season. Um, we're currently living through the difficulties to having in his latest marriage with Diane. And just this idea that he would be married to another quite substantially famous film star in the case of Jessica Biel, but is somebody that herself can't really get recognition without, revol without reverting to something that involves her taking her clothes off rather than it being through her acting work, whilst... She bollocks Mr. Peanut Butter for not getting acting opportunities itself. There's a lot of, I don't know, the trappings of fame plus the plight of women in Hollywood all wrapped up in this one little bit of dialogue, all overseen by Blan, Diane, the future wife of Mr. Peanut Butter. It's all just really, really cute foreshadowing here. Yeah, it's really well done. I can't really do it any more justice than you have there. But I think the way, again, that 
Bojack Horseman giving us the disgusting underbelly of Hollywood, even though it's as quick and as subtle as it is, yeah, with Jessica Biel, bless her, who's just desperate to have some sort of notoriety in the world and all she's mm. known for is for taking her clothes off, which, let's be honest, was probably like a key trope of a lot of women, particularly at this sort of early noughties phase, wasn't it? These yeah. sort of young teen pop stars who were completely sexualized. I know she's not a pop star, but a similar ilk young mm. uh, actresses as well. Same, same kind of boat they were all in, and unfortunately, that's what seems to stick. It was uh, a gross phenomenon that is only sort of disappearing now. There was the whole thing about waiting for the Olsen twins to be of age, that they would do those magazines. There was Gail Porter being projected onto the Houses of Parliament in the UK when she was yeah. a television presenter, but it didn't matter because there was like her half naked on a building for people to go up at. Um, and yeah, the idea that um, Diane, who we know, brilliantly is somebody that takes quite a significant interest in the arts but still can't nail down one of jessica beale's films without being reminded that she was the one that had clothes taken off in the magazine all very sad so there's a little snapshot of peanut butter diane and princess carolyn we will get back to them later on but to bojack again who uh, has been given an opportunity by princess carolyn doing a legwork uh, of his agent marv by getting him drunk on 16 locos and kidnapping so we'll audition for a script for the writer cuddly whiskers uh, we will touch on how she happened upon the script later on in the uh, the podcast um he still doesn't want to go do it this is still bojack's kind of like black dog the little sort of quiet mode of depression that lingers in the corner the uh the performance anxiety that he's got about ever being able to top horsing around even though he desperately wants to get away from that it's brilliantly expressed here by him speaking on that subject when somebody across in the next car along says hey aren't you the horse from horsing around that famous and that infamous heckle that he gets forces him to wind his window up and all he notes there is that it's why he doesn't go out amongst the non-famous he is both in need of that heckle and yet completely trapped and enslaved by it. Uh, Diane, anyway, manages to... Uh, Diane, excuse me, Miss, uh, Princess Carolyn, manages to convince him over the course of this drive today. She is driven by wanting to be a great agent. This is not the first time that getting a job for Bojack Horseman is seen as a badge of honour in Hollywood, or Hollywood as it was then, and this is maybe the first time she's been given that chance to do it, and she does. Um, Bojack agrees to meet with Cuddly Whiskers, who is a hamster. Um, yeah, he says... He, uh, he wrote a new show while in rehab uh, after the success of his prior show, Krill and Grace. Um, he's got a, we learn about a sexually aggressive and possibly abusive relationship with his assistant, Jill Filopowitz. Um, but he coaxes Bojack Horseman into uh, buying into making a show that will put them both over as geniuses and vanquish Horseman around and Krill and Grace as their respective calling cards forever. It seems to be this joint, tool for the pair of them to get more of the credibility that they both seem to be searching for despite openly acknowledging that the thing that they found success with has given them everything that sits in front of them we've learned about cuddly whiskers going to rehab we've learned about bojack horseman's tricky life following horsing around this has given them a taste of what they want but it's credibility they're now in search of uh bojack excitedly recounts meeting with cuddly whiskers back at his house with Princess Carolyn back in his bed yet again to show that there is still this push and pull of both ends of the professional and personal relationship. Um, but despite all that, he still won't do the show. Um, Princess Carolyn immediately ups and begins to leave. It's worth noting that she's in negligee when she's in his bed, so it's either just before or just ahead of them having sex. Um, however, she decides to leave there and then, because she just doesn't want to keep trying and failing with him. Um, he exposes his total lack of confidence once and for all. Just he's got such worry that he can't do any new work. And she gives him what is effectively a primitive version of the pep talk that she'd become famous for in the show. She says, 
You're bright, funny, handsome, and talented. But if you can't see that, you're the biggest, dumbest piece of shit in the world. It's so much more unrefined than the usual one that gets people up and off and running. But she is yet to become the agency that will eventually do. So it's kind of like a, her own sort of training ground and what a person to train on in Bojack Horseman. Thoughts on our first meeting with Cuddly Whiskers, Bojack's first meeting with Cuddly Whiskers, and Princess Carolyn again being the one to drive all this. I just couldn't believe that they managed to kind of capture in this show the speech that I give you before every single podcast that we do together. <laughs> I don't I know how it. they've managed what can I say? It's a lack of confidence, you know? I don't know how they've done it. I really don't know how they've done it. But all in all, this Cuddly Whiskers relationship immediately struck me as one that was going to be fascinating because you've got two guys here who are... And maybe it kind of tells you more about the time period too before the noughties, of course. Like, how many actors have we seen it happen to how many um show creators have we seen it happen to who do a sitcom and just cannot get rid of it they're just mm. known as that man or woman from that show and that's it i mean literally the, the entire cast of friends come to mind whenever i think yeah. about this but like so many this has happened to and i find it fascinating that the kind of the misery loves company element of this where bojack needed someone else to be on the same kind of slippery slope as him Cuddly Whiskers has literally come out of rehab. He had to come out of rehab <laughs> for, for to find somebody to sort of connect with on this level. Bojack is, of course, the person. I wonder why that is, eh? <laughs> yeah. But, no, um, it's, yeah. it's like in Misery Loves Company. There's a there's an immediate toxicity to their relationship, which is only enhanced by that very awkward and difficult and unrevisited sequence of events with her and with him and his assistant, who brings them both drinks. She has the water slapped out of her hand. Um and it's something that Bojack doesn't even give a second thought to because at this point he's lost in the world of their supposedly brilliant creation that they're going to work on together. They keep adding these tiny little bits in throughout this episode, don't they, with this, where that dynamic between the men and women is very, very obvious to see, and yet mm. nobody really seems to care about it. No, it's, I mean, it's it's, it, it, it's so regular now, we should name a weekly segment after it, but this is sort of our weekly dose of Hollywood sexism. Um, although this is, it's, the, it's basically the toxic slime in Ghostbusters 2 that runs under New York. It's the tar that runs underneath Hollywood. The tar really is this awful disparity between how males and females are trapped in this industry. And there's going to be more of it rather directly addressed because it can be crueler in this episode because it's in 2007 rather than 2014. It's astonishing to think that the show that we've highlighted all the ugly side of, set in 14, 15 and 16 and beyond, is gentler than it was here in 2007. We're going to hear that, especially in a bit of dialogue from Bojack later on. But anyway, he rings Marv, his agent, to which uh, Marv confirms that Bojack has taken the show by shouting through to Princess Carolyn at his, obviously at her desk outside his office. Guess who got Bojack a job? You are the secretary of a wonderful agent. Now go pick up a pair of satin crotchless undies. I saw a stewardess at the Yum Yum Donuts and we did not make eye contact. There will be more of Marv later on in this podcast. But I just thought it was worth highlighting this one now because even within taking credit for a job he hadn't done, the main role for the assistant that had done the work was to go and, what, aid and abet his misogynistic perversions? Mm. I would just like you to, I don't want to take away from the severity of another quick instance of how bad the men in Hollywood are, and they really do keep coming thick and fast <laughs> this episode. For our listeners at home, give them a little treat, Michael. Do you, want, do you want to just rattle off that Marv quote again with Marv's voice, perhaps? I'll try. It's going to be a bad impression, but I have got a cold, so we'll leave That's that why I thought you may be good at this today. Okay. We could tap into that cold you've got and at least put you to some good use. The fact that it's a run-on sentence means I'll start running out of breath as well. <laughs>
Guess who got Bojack Horseman a job? You are the secretary of a wonderful agent. Now go pick me up a pair of satin crotchless undies. I saw a stewardess at the Yum Yum Donuts. We did not make eye contact. Oh, man. You've done it real good justice there, my friend. <laughs> don't feel I'm good sorry. about that. No, you shouldn't. No, no, should you? You shouldn't at all. I can't believe you did it, to be honest. It's so easy. <laughs> um, but you've set a quite high bar for yourself now. I have to make sure you deliver every week. This is why, whenever I'm driving along, people wind down the window and say, hey, are you the dad from the What Culture podcast? They never ask about <laughs> podcast horsemen. Um, <laughs> through another bit of wonderful exposition, Bojack's clock tells us that it's two months later, which wakes Princess Carol up. Two months later, she's still back in Bojack's bed. A recurring theme, that no matter what she says, it isn't in line with what she does. Um, he thanks her for the role for the first time, giving her a thank you gift, which is a, a box of wrapping paper, but it's just a paper because she's, of course, a cat. Uh, but it has its first table read today. That's why the time has flashed forward. It's to the next significant moment in this episode's story. Um, at the studio, Cuddly Whiskers and Bojack conclude the table read um, with Princess Carolyn and several other writers in the audience, the studio execs and the like, and it goes fantastically well. Um, they receive a huge uh, ovation. Um, afterwards, they worry that the execs are going to bland it up but it turns out the execs absolutely love it. There are no notes. Um, one of them even says it's going to be as big as horsing around, which makes them worry even more. Um, they, you know, have obviously suggested that when they've done the first read of it, everything's perfect in their mind, but by the execs suggesting that it's not, it gives them a substantial worry. It gives them almost a source of frustration about getting no notes whatsoever because they've lived that life before through Krill and Grace and through horsing around. They've lived those very happy execs patting them on the back and saying great work. And they're currently in this mindset where they're completely resentful of it. Um, Princess Carolyn, without any of that baggage, um, enthousi enthusiastically offers her effusive praise for it. And uh, Bojack replies, you asked as if we wanted your opinion and we don't. I'm not about to take career advice from somebody that's been an assistant for 14 years. Um, they're busy worrying about it not being edgy when Bojack's just been a complete edgy prick to Princess Carolyn. He says, who do you think you are? She says, I don't know. And uh, he says, here's some free advice. Why don't you leave this to the grown-ups? And if somebody needs coffee, I'll give you a ring. It is the most nakedly cruel Bojack has been to Princess Carolyn. And that was kind of... A, point I was trying to raise earlier on without spoiling that bit of dialogue was that in 2007 it was even more socially acceptable to be that way to somebody in an open forum such as this rather than in the privacy cuddly whiskers doing that in his own home was less than ideal but it was as part of at least a partially consenting relationship this was a form of abuse to a member of staff princess carolyn might not be his official agent she's lined up everything for bojack here and this is how she's rewarded when she actually has yet more valuable insight and input to offer. Not even just that, though. This is a, um, a dynamic we've all definitely seen at least once in our life where um, this, is some, this isn't just his agent. This is somebody Bojack's at least have, like, sleeping with, you know, spending that a lot morning, of time with. That morning. That literal morning. Mm. That's still happening. This isn't like it just... Like, mm -hmm. you know, it was an old flame and he's got a bit of vengeance towards it. It was literally this morning, but because he's in the company of another guy, that line about the coffee man, it, it, I've seen this many times now, this show, and it doesn't get any easier because of just how blunt it is and how mm -hmm. wrong he is. Like, he couldn't be more wrong. This is like the one person, if anything, who has his best interests at heart and understands how to get things done. And he's like, he's just fobbed her off. 
And it always comes back to power as well, doesn't it? He is the one in total control of the situation. And as you say, the bleeding over of the, the sexual relationship they've got makes that all the more uncomfortable and disconcerting. Because if he can be, and this is not to say that we see Bojack in any way be physically or emotionally to Princess Carolyn sexually. However, if that part of their relationship can exist in the workplace, it would be so easy for that to transpose over into something that was happening in their personal lives as well. And though it may not be overt, the fact that they kind of she remains on the hook for the next seven or eight years, right up until the point where in real time, in season one and season two, she's being left abandoned by him. It does sort of highlight that how that power dynamic is much crueler personally when it's cruel enough here. Um, regardless, she just sort of takes that one on the chin, as she always does. And it's off to Cuddy Whiskers' uh, apartment for him and Bojack having an all-night writing session, completely rebuilding the sitcom, which I should name at this point was known as Mitch's Life. A little bit more on that later on. Um, the setting here uh, of two men two people that are integral to the very existence of the show and don't conflate that with success of the show. They are integral to the existence of the show. Bojack, the main star, uh, Cuddly Whiskers, the head writer. Just a very briefly spin-off for anybody that has only discovered this through Bojack Horseman. Welcome. Um, myself and Adam McLeish work for What Culture, predominantly on the wrestling team. And there is a bit of wrestling apocrypha if for those film fans that have ever seen No Holds Barred, a dreadful uh, Hulk Hogan movie project when he was at the height of his wrestling fame. The story goes that Vince McMahon and Hulk Hogan read a script for No Holds Barred, despised it, and the deadline was Monday. And over the course of one weekend locked in a hotel room, they completely rewrote the film that ended up being a complete turkey. An absolute, like, it's full of 80s pomp and bombast and silliness, but it's not a credible piece of work it's about as far away from a rocky film as you can imagine and that was still full of like blockbuster shortcuts this is a hideous hulk hogan vanity project but they believed that in that hotel room over the weekend using their minds and whatever happened to be influencing their minds at the time they were creating this masterpiece and it was that that came to mind when watching this scene because i have to assume that between an actor and a writer or an actor and a director or an actor and a backer the two of them Males, of course they're males, had to believe that they were creating this masterpiece with nobody to offer feedback other than the two people. They are throwing a ball to each other effectively and every catch is rewarded as being better than the last. Nothing is bad because it gets written down and then it can be changed later. And yes, I took a list of every bad idea they pitched to each other, such as Bojack taking a dump on a horse and around VHS. Uh, every time Bojack's character enters the room, he starts with, What's up, bitches? and five minutes of him reading a book to himself. These are ideas that they pitch in the heat of the moment while suggesting, no, we can, we can change it later, we can change it later. But through the passage of time and several of the moments of them both thinking they're geniuses and putting each other over as the, just these legends of the art form, uh, Cuddly Whisker says, we did it. We changed everything but the title, at which point they come up with a new title, The Bojack Horseman Show. And Bojack has that look in his eyes of the first time that Secretariat was mooted or the first time that it was thought he was going to win an Oscar. The very fact that a show has been named that he believes to be a work of genius to then be called the Bojack Horseman show plays to his ego, plays to his vanity and plays to this flawed belief he's got that he needs to have a credible vehicle to make his career a success. This whole scene was yet another moment of the ugly side of the Hollywood creative process laid bare for us all to get to watch. 
there was a lot of little harkbacks to season one, wasn't there, where Todd and uh, Bojack and yes. Sarah Lynn kind of go on that little bender and try to rewrite his book in one night or whatever it is, or the course of a night. And um, it screams... Uh, it's The thing that's popped into my head, really, is because... And I'm... Should I mention this? I'm going to mention it. Why not? Uh, I, I'm thinking... The first thing that popped into my head here is Max Landis, of all people, obviously... Uh, fairly problematic guy now but um back in the day there was a tweet that he put out while he was writing uh, i believe it was the script for bright you know the film that came out on netflix yeah absolutely tanked the one with will mm-hmm. smith in um someone had recently retweeted uh some it was an old tweet from him basically saying and i've got it here it says i've come to slowly this is for mac La- for max landis i've come to slowly realize that bright my new script if made well could potentially be my Star Wars, and it feels <laughs> and it feels crazy. Now, the the person who was retweeting this, and I forget who it was, basically said, "Like, imagine having that privilege uh, that he has, and just assuming that the thing he writes is just going to be the best thing that he's that, <laughs> that anyone's ever written." Like, that was the kind of energy I was getting from uh, Bojack and uh, Quidley Whiskers here, two men in Hollywood, and well, we can't really determine if they are white. You get the feeling that they, they kind of fit the role of two white men in Hollywood, yeah. is what I, mm-hmm. my brain would assume. Um, and quite honestly, that sort of completely unchecked, like, we're geniuses. This is amazing. This is great. How many times must that have happened in real, actual life? Like, over time yeah. and time and time again. And you mentioned Vincent Mann there as well, another person who's just probably never been told no so yeah. many times that all this garbage just gets through. Well, that's exactly what we're getting here with these two. Completely unchecked privilege, just two guys writing away, thinking of the best. But the irony here, of course, is, is that they've changed everything. That was the whole idea. Let's change everything. But the one thing Bojack was worried about, yes, all right, you might not want to, want to be called the horse from horsing around anymore. But he was already worried about like things being too big, wasn't he? He didn't yeah. want to do something too big. And yet by the end of this, his ego has taken over so much that he wants, he's happy when the show is renamed the Bojack Horseman show, yeah. literally putting his entire name up there. And he doesn't even think about the failure. That's the privilege going on here. He's not <laughs> even thinking of failure. He's just assuming it's going to be a hit. And I just think that just all ties together perfectly. And with a the theme that's really heavily gone through this episode. Yeah. It's, I think the, the name is such a moment for him, isn't it? Like the, at this point, Mitch's life, whatever even that Mitch's life was in that table read that got that ovation is dead anyway so obviously Bojack and Cuddly Whiskers have both detached themselves emotionally fully from it and as you say about I don't necessarily think it needs to come down to whether or not they're seen as like the straight white males of Hollywood so much as it is the power of their position in that writer's room in that table read they're the most important people in that room the creator and its star and of course they're both male but like that they're the most vital people to that production so they're the ones that are imbued with that sort of power to be able to go away and do that thing and it, as you say it's privilege is exactly the word the privilege to be able to go and do that and then just rechristen it in the name of the actor while they're both putting each other on these impossible pedestals which mm. is why you get so much joy out potentially watching those pedestals fall which we might just get as we skip to another two months later that is revealed to a lovely bit of exposition elsewhere in the episode as i'll get to but there is a familiar scene it's a party at bojack's where the various characters are eating cotton candy uh, he's in the middle of a conversation with uh, hurley from lost who's about to tell him about the mean a bit before he gets pulled away into another conversation in about another very cute 2007 gag uh 
He finds uh, Princess Carolyn, who kind of gently scolds him for the coffee remark, but doesn't go in as hard as she could have done, as maybe as hard as we would all want it to, because that's the reality. This is not the show that will patronise you or condescend you with that big cinematic moment where she really tears a strip off him for being such an arsehole to her on the film set. She is as behooven to the power dynamic as Bojack Horseman is himself, and thus you get no dramatic bollocking that he so desperately deserves. Um, she kind of wishes him well for it, and he's excited to no longer be the horse from horsing around. Uh, then we get a really hideous moment where he asks her for a kiss for good luck, which she stands back from, uh, which again is him very casually leaning on what might remain of their sexual relationship at this point. But she says no. Um, she says she's uh, his agent and she will always support him. But to quote her, I'm 33 and I want to have a family by the time I'm 40. I don't want to spend the next seven years in and out of love with you. I've wasted too much time and I'm not going to wait anymore. Obviously, that as a joke is kind of like a flash forward in a time capsule because we know that unfortunately she is going to spend the majority of that time falling in and out of love with Bojack Horseman. Also interesting here that she, by noting her age and noting that the year we're in, uh, it makes you realise that she was 19 when she became an agent's assistant and she spent 14 years in that chair outside of Marv's office not getting any opportunities of promotion whatsoever when, if you compare that to virtually every male in Hollywood, down to Todd, a friend of an actor, stumbling arse backwards into opportunities. She sat in that desk doing a very good job diligently um, for 14 years from being a fresh-faced 19-year-old, and she finds herself at 33 in exactly the same seat. It's an absolute crime. But then, with Bojack on the ropes, realising that he's maybe not going to get the relationship he wants personally with uh, Princess Carolyn, she just is about to walk away and gets a moment, not in the form of a bollocking, but in the form of something that finally rattles him. For what it's worth, I always liked the horse from horsing around. But it says, you did? And she says, yeah, everybody did. His eyes go white and wide. He bursts into the room, the living room where Cuddly Whiskers has got everybody settled around the TV waiting for the big premiere. He's panicked <laughs> and he's begging them to call the whole thing off. Uh, <laughs> it's as if it's hit him all of a sudden at once that this might be a terrible mistake. But Cuddly Whiskers tries to reassure him. And I can't promise people will love this show, but people will remember it. Five to ten years from now, this will be the show that this will be the show that people will associate with you, and you'll be glad they do. This show is real. It's edgy. It's different. A lesser talent couldn't have pulled it off. And as always, by playing to his ego, it's helped. Uh, he finally he closes this big speech out by saying, "But I'm willing to bet on Bojack Horseman. Are you?" And Bojack says, "Yes, I am." <laughs> and Cuddly Whisker says, "The show is starting, and your life is about to change forever." In three, two, one. And then from the television screen, we hear, What's up, bitches? And they've left absolutely everything the same from their dreadful meeting. And that is where we hit the credits on the main story of this episode. There is a lot of plot in the other characters to get to in this one, which we will do presently. But for the first time this episode, we're going to use the word, a powerhouse ending to our powerhouse episode when we talk about the central Bojack plot. Because for that to be the reveal that everything has stayed the way that it did on that dreadful night in Cuddly Whiskers' apartment is so immensely satisfying because Bojack's been a prick, because Cuddly yeah. Whiskers has been a prick. And Bojack is the last one to know that maybe when people say, hey, aren't you the horse from horsing around? It's not such a bad thing. He finds out at the worst possible time in his life to find that information out and can't do anything about the hailstorm of shit that's about to rain down upon him. And that 
is the way that Hollywood takes its cruel revenge on these idiot males. Yeah, this is... I tell you what, Princess Carolyn, the undefeated champ in the show, <laughs> um, because as you say, you think he's... Or, or he thinks he's getting off. In fact, he, just, he won't even think he's getting off lightly at all. He, She kind of has the tiny dig about the coffee. Um, again, he doesn't even seem that fight, like, bothered about it. Goes for a kiss. In what world does he go for a kiss? I mean, the arrogance of the man. And then... And I just love the fact that it's waiting, it's waiting, it's waiting. And what better way to just really kind of show you've got class, but also just really get into the, into the mind of Bojack just before the premiere of his brand new show. She knows full well just how much this has been plaguing him for all these years and just says, for what it's worth, I always like the horse from horsing around. Everybody does. Imagine someone, I'm just thinking, <laughs> if this was you and someone dropped that bombshell on you before you changed a brand new podcast or something, I'm trying to think of how much your world would just crumble entirely. I'd, I'd like, I daren't think about it unless I'm not being able to continue this podcast. Yeah, it makes me feel that like stressed and twisted my stomach. It's, yeah, it's as you say, it's, it's, such a, it's such a devastating knockout blow. And it's so smart because, well, because women are smarter. And... <laughs> Unfortunately, she can't, as we've always discussed, the power dynamics. It's This is real. And in that real life, she can't give him what for and take a hot coffee and throw it in his face like yeah. he deserves. She has to do it in this way instead. She has to use her mind and use her wits. And, oh. yeah, the knife is so much more tacit as it's been screwed into Bojack. And, yeah, the, <laughs> the drag before the gag, the gag in this case Brilliant. being the reveal of the was up bitches. And... I think like so much in so much in two coarse words getting told to us the viewer through that is sensational writing. Not only that, but knowing full well the thing that made me laugh towards the end there as you were uh, retelling this part of the show is that we I knew that was coming, but on top of that is the Bojack is panicked because he knows full well <laughs> in the opening scene he's about to take a massive shit on a VHS copy <laughs> of horsing around which is literally the worst thing he could possibly do. <laughs> the thing that people like is about to use his new edgy vehicle yeah. to run over it. Yeah, no good. No good, this. Let's, um, let's stick with Princess Carolyn's arc in this one. Very much the, the B-plot that fed into Bojack's A. Um, to go back a little bit to the start of the episode, where, of course, she is still Marv's assistant, um, he calls her in to get a lowdown on the scripts that he was supposed to read at the weekend um, that she has done the reading for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the course of a minute, he banters, she's got three scripts, he banters off, no country for old men, and there will be blood, on the Hopefully rationale, not. on the rationale that titles should be two <laughs> words. <laughs> and the two word films he uses add evidence to this being proper. Should I, should I do the voice again? Should I try and do the yes, voice? Yes, please do, please do. You need to think about pretty woman, beautiful girls, private parts. <laughs> Mark is goddamn vile. He throws them into his ceiling fan to shred them. So the scripts, the shredded scripts just rain down along the pair of them. So she has one more left that she thinks is going to work. It's obviously Mitch's life that will later become the Bojack Horseman show. But we see the original title of the script and it's labelled The Lives and Loves of Mitch McFadden and His Family and Friends, which she just presents as Mitch's life, which he loves. Uh, she tries to offer him a little bit more advice, uh, to which he replies, 
Do I get your coffees and do your dry clean and get you to buy a peekaboo negligee for strange women you saw at the train station once? How about I don't do your job and you don't do my job? Oh. Marv is awful. <laughs> it's just Marv awful. is so gross, man. They can't punch lower onto what I must assume were your standard rank and file agents um, in Hollywood at the time. I was reminded here of... Um, Californication and the character Charlie Runkle, how he's yeah. quite a sad sack sexually, um, and he's quite a weakened male figure. And yet, Californication glorifies his ability to occasionally have casual sex with his young assistant mm. uh, behind his wife's back, and how much he's allowed to do that because of the mechanisms of the industry, and how in that show. Uh, which is the, and this is not the anti-Californication podcast specifically, but within the confines of that show, it's dealt with as a bit of an eye roll of the life they all lead. Whereas here, it's a dagger to the heart of a Charlie Runkle or a Marv or anybody else. Marv is older and grosser than a Charlie Runkle. But I just found it interesting about how those two shows approach was effectively the same thing here. He could have well sent his assistant out to buy peekaboo negligee for somebody, and he probably ask her to put the bag down and then stare at her ass while she did it. In fact, I may be recounting an exact scene from Californication as I use that as an example. Different shows, different times, and television is better now than it was then, and Bojack Horseman is better than the things you like. Yeah, I think that's very fair. We've used um, Californication and the likes of Entourage before to kind of mm. compare. And I have to say, I'm, I put my hands up as the first person to say, I've watched both shows, and now I stand up by the fact I did enjoy those shows at the time. Mm. But you look back now, and I imagine if I watched them back, I'd, yeah, I, I, it would worry me to watch them back, I think. I think just any I, any show now, and we have to use now as the context, I'm the same. Yeah. I watched, I didn't see um, Entourage, but I did watch Californication. Mm-hmm. You have to look at the, obviously, the time the show was made, and that's by no means to give it an excuse. But what we have to find the end of now, here in 2020, or whenever you listen to this podcast in the future, and as Bojack was addressing here in 2015, um, was that it needs to be the end of the glorification. It's no longer about yeah. what happened once before. It's about how to do it better now. And this is them doing it better now in the form of this Marv character. Um, it doesn't discourage within the show Princess Carolyn wanting to be an agent. That is, of course, what's driving her to get Bojack over the line, get, her in Mitch, get him in Mitch's life, all that sort of thing. She desperately wants to be an agent, to which Marv, again, obsessed by names, just like he was with the film, uh, notes that they don't even have a word for female agents. So in his mind, how can wow. I even possibly? He suggests Agent S or some, something like that. Um, there are no good reasons, ultimately, why females can't be agents. And that's Marv, again, trying to pull the ladder away, trying to keep the glass ceiling atop Princess Carolyn's head. Yeah, um, you, can get, you can kind of get that feeling as well, that those are real-life things that happened. I feel like... Yeah. This doesn't feel far-fetched at all. This that's a, very much feels like a conversation I can imagine an agent trying to have with their assistant. You wonder, and we've talked about this before on the show, um, again, just want to ask RBW when he comes on for the finale, um, how many times a writer, a female writer, put the hand up when they were looking for the right line and said, well, this one time, and then recounts a story where it's a lived-in experience. Yeah. This is not just, it's not just excellent writing. Of course, it's excellent writing, excellent construction, but it's perhaps informed and enabled by the real-life misadventures of these people trying to make their way in Hollywood. Um, kind of out of the blue, after, he, after she needles and needles, he quits and retires on the spot. Um, he has this moment of clarity, does Marv, where he notes that the job uh, destroyed him from the inside out. Uh, he never had a family. He kind of closes his little... 
um, epitaph on his career by saying, all I have is regrets, as he walks out of his office, giving it to Princess Carolyn, who follows up <laughs> with, oh my God, I'm an agent. I'm going to make it after all. She throws a hat in a celebratory fashion, which gets shredded by the ceiling fan. Again, as if to sort of suggest that her dream and everything she's wished for is going to welcome a hailstorm of shit. But she at least resolves to get rid of the ceiling fan. It's as if she's going to make that one minor improvement that will somehow better all the feelings that Marv has found in his personal life. I thought this was quite a nice ending for Marv in this episode. We've laboured on what a greasy, awful creep he is, um, that he's just benefiting from the ills of Hollywood, ultimately. But he at least inadvertently shows her what a life might be like when she takes this job. And this is the one thing that she's got a blind spot to. She is so driven and is quite a careerist at this point that he has shown her how things might end up over hypothetically the next seven years. She wants to have a family by the time she's 40. She's told Bojan that. And yet she ignores that because she has at long last been given the chair that she probably shouldn't have had to wait 14 years to sit in. Yeah, very true. And I think... um... The other thing that I really picked up on here is fancy fancy having the luxury of just being Marvel, just being able to just decide mm. on the day that that's it. Like, nah. Like, how many people don't get that opportunity to just Marvel's in a position <laughs> where you can just get up and go, you know what? Yeah, why don't I just go home? I think he picks up his telephone. It's an ashtray and the cigar that he just put out in that ashtray. Puts him in a suitcase, which tells you everything he's accrued over his time <laughs> actually sitting at that desk that matters to him remotely. Walks off, pulls the suit, the phone cord out of the phone by accident as he walks off with his suitcase. God only knows what's happened to that ashtray and the cigar, the cigar that was in it. Um, and that's when he's had his revelation that he's, and as you say, uh, the kind of double-edged sword. Yeah, Princess Carolyn finally gets what she wants, but she's literally been shown what she might and most likely will end up getting out of that, and doesn't care because she got the things she was striving for. It's <laughs> she's got to learn. From his mistakes and you can only hope by the addressing of the ceiling fan that's going to be the first of hopefully many yeah. she, she does not want to be sat in that chair in 10 years time referring to pretty woman beautiful <laughs> girls a private part beautiful uh, girls beautiful girls uh to todd next of course at the start of the episode it was bojack uh princess carolyn's car flashing past todd uh, and his girlfriend, who is now named as Emily. Uh, they're doing seven minutes in heaven at some sort of party uh, where they have their first kiss. It's quite a nice romantic moment. Uh, that's all we get of them for the start of the episode, but then we find them uh, after we've had one of the time jumps where they've gone three months forward. They're now three months into some sort of relationship, at least. And uh, Emily wants to have sex. Todd is uncomfortable with the idea, but seemingly reluctantly about to go through with it. They both take off their beanies, which we're led to imply means that everything else is going to follow. Um, but they are stopped dead in their tracks when Emily's dad arrives home. Todd panics because obviously he remembers that she'd mentioned that he was just like uh, the Sopranos, uh, that he was a mobster. But in fact, he just works on the show. It was uh, one of them brilliant Bojack miscommunications. He's merely an editor. Todd brilliantly reasons that this is worse because he's immune and nihilistic about the violence and evil that he has to watch on a regular basis in his job. So he bails out of the window using the film reel from the Sopranos finale that snaps abruptly in his hand as he's abseiling down the window. Uh, what might have been on that film reel, obviously, from that abrupt cut from The Sopranos. He stares at the cells while running away to say, Tony marries Dr. Melfi? So <laughs> they finally know that it was just an accident when the finale cut shot, of course, in that wonderful, fantastic Sopranos finale. 
uh, before scarpering off into the night and past Bojack Horseman's house. That is obviously the first time they've had their interaction without even realising it. Um, nothing but everything for Todd in this one, because his whole story, young Todd, I suppose, part of his story is told here. Um, he has never really... Uh, dabbled romantically in the various misadventures he's gotten up to in Hollywood. This is the first time that we've seen him. And if it feels awkward, it's because it is awkward and it plays quite nicely on that. It's awkward because they're young and they're sort of experiencing things for the first time. But also, it's the first idea that maybe we don't quite know how Todd knows how to interact with members of the opposite sex because they're always acting upon him. If you think about how Kelsey just loved his face and just loved him and people in general seem to like gravitate towards Todd yet he doesn't necessarily have that same magnetic pull from others it's a really cute bit where obviously in taking off their beanies he takes Emily's and it was her yellow beanie that would become part of Todd's costume in, in the show forever so it's something that he's managed to hold on to that is of some significance you know all those years later but just Todd as a romantic character is something that's never been so openly explored until now and I thought this was quite a unique way to use him in a flashback episode yeah, definitely. And I think the other interesting part about this was in an episode where we got so many instances of men trying to enforce themselves on women, like across mm. the board. Todd is the one. Is Todd the only good man in Hollywood? Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Uh, only unanimously so, I think, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, just about. Probably because he's not in it. <laughs> I was going to say, probably because he's not really in it, I guess, but um, he's, I think that was an interesting dynamic for me and seeing how Todd's driven by life and other things, not mm. necessarily by just the pursuit of women or having some sort of male power over them, which I don't even think is ever even crossed in his dynamic. Even if you think back to early on, when he's on the phone to... Um, in season one, when he's, he's on the phone to that woman he believes is a girlfriend from yes. Japan or whatever, but it's actually someone trying to scam him, like yeah. another woman trying to take advantage of Todd, which is a very interesting <laughs> dynamic. I wonder if that's something they've got on the board, which is Todd is always to be taken advantage of by women as the sort of opposite to the flow of Hollywood, maybe. Well, it's interesting because obviously when he's been made uncomfortable by sex, it's been in a very literal form because Bojack is 
having sex on top of him or yeah. right in front of him. Whereas here, this is obviously the, the possibility of sex. Emily, we should point out, is not really particularly trying to force him. There is a no. certain there's a certain ebb and flow to their teenage relationship him. where she, she likes him. This is two teenagers trying to figure things out. Yeah, it's, it's born out of a love rather than a pushiness. But he is not ready and kind of only welcoming himself to it because of her rather than because of his own thing. And that is made at least very apparent before he bails out of the window, scared of the Sopranos editor. Um, so, yeah, it was, I, I, I did quite appreciate that that was what they drilled upon with Todd because all of his backstories about how he landed on Bojack's couch are hilarious in their own ways. But this was something far cuter to address, I think, than just one of his random misadventures with a drug cartel or something like that. Or even they could have tried to play with the time a little bit to have it that, you know, he has his first interaction with Bojack and he doesn't really. That's not, other than running past his house, not knowing that he's eventually going to end up living there. That's not something that we get to. So I was glad that they gave Todd, like Todd's character, like strength to stand on his own two feet, at least. Um, to Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter, whose stories repeatedly overlap throughout this episode, as will prove to be quite important. Um, obviously, at the coffee shop where Blan had served uh, peanut butter earlier in the episode, Diane, after, is doing cleanup with Wayne and another female writer friend in the coffee shop. Diane gets a rejection letter from the New Yorker, but is absolutely thrilled with it because she's getting some feedback and some validation. And because they said her open letter to open letters had obvious merit. She is just pleased with the idea that she feels like she's maybe getting a, a foot on the ladder as a writer. In the meantime, uh, the other two kind of scold the New Yorker in general with cynical barbs at its expense, which Diane quite brilliantly highlights that it must mean something to them. Uh, this, I thought, was like just a nice gag because it kind of foreshadows what how people would use social media, I think, to do this same thing. This is them having that competitive take moment between the two of them. They're both crap. They're both hacks. They're coming up with bad puns, bad rhymes, things of that nature. And yet... Diane is the real winner because she's actually reached out and tried to make something rather than competing just to drag it down. A nice sort of moment between, they're all earnestly trying to make it, but Diane is the only one that's made a stride between the three. Uh, Mr. Peanut Butter and Jessica are back in the coffee shop waiting to get served by Diane. Uh, Jessica's talking excitedly about her colleague, Justin, who Mr. Peanut Butter notes she's just totally in sync with. Uh, <laughs> no, they're waiting to get served, but nobody is serving them. Uh, because Diane is uh, dragging a rubbish bag around while busy on the phone to her mother back in Boston. Um, we see, obviously, that, sort, that shot of the living room with all her brothers and Diane's dad when he was still alive and the mother on the phone. Uh, she's thrilled because her New Yorker piece has been published uh, in McSweeney's. Uh, but as it's a website, the mother immediately just assumes it's a scam and doesn't really take it seriously. And wow, did that one hit. Yeah. Anyway, back to Mr. Peanut Butter explaining that he's going to be in a blockbuster original series, which is this fabulous 2007 take on what we now know as a Netflix original streaming series, but where people have to go to the shop rent a disc a week at a time with several episodes on, <laughs> which Jessica Beale highlights the obvious flaws in and is just a terrific layered gag about how streaming would ultimately brutalise the uh, the rentals market. Um, she's furious that he even said yes to it in the first place. Um, he notes that he's got to be excited about any possibilities, about any sort of projects, uh, just as he does for a CD which is for sale in the coffee shop in something that feels very true to the Mr. Peanut Butter that we see in present day. Um, before we get to the next sort of time jump, which we would get through a banner, uh, that little note on the blockbuster series, as it were, 
what a fantastic way, not only just to timestamp this episode yet again, but to highlight that Netflix, the very thing that has birthed Bojack Horseman and has allowed Bojack Horseman to be, yet again, there are various, not stabs, but jabs, shall we say, that the writing team, that the creators take at the very service that platforms them, because they know that it's not just been for the betterment of the art. They know that with it, streaming has bought certain shortcuts and certain problems and issues of its own. And how incredibly brave of them to just put this gag in at Netflix expense. The people who are ultimately probably getting paid or getting their money away through this system and whether yeah. or not they're satisfied with that, of course, is a whole other kettle of fish. Um, this is a show that has not been afraid to do this in the past either. Mm. I think uh, RBW has been very specific in his criticisms of the things he hasn't necessarily enjoyed or doesn't necessarily support that comes with the streaming and particularly, obviously, on Netflix, uh, stuff like the end credits thing where it's constantly trying to zip yeah. away before he gets a chance for any of his writing staff or creative staff to get a nod in the credits. Um, so, yeah, not surprising to see him want to take that on, but a lovely sort of clever layer here, the fact that they make the joke within the fact that Blockbuster had this new structural uh, thing behind it. A Blockbuster original series. Um, <laughs> on the subject of Mr. Peanut Butter taking jobs he perhaps shouldn't, but feeling like he has to take everything, uh, we get the two months later the, uh, the form of a banner at a John Edwards 2008 presidential campaign fundraiser, where, again, um, Diane, Wayne, and their third writer friend, who I should note is never named, which, again, feels like a stab at probably many of the female writers in the room, as you say, that was would often go uncredited in their various positions in life. Um they're kind of joking at its expense from their position at the back of the room as waiter, catering staff. Um, Diane is not really making jokes, I should point out. It's more just Wayne and the other writer just taking stabs at Mr. Peanut Butter's patter, basically. It is very clear as Wayne promotes his Twitter account where that this forms the backbone of their relationship in the absence of them perhaps actually taking strides forward to be writers, unlike Diane, who is failing very obviously trying um she kind of sighs and blows off she's just visibly weary over there patter at this point uh meanwhile on stage uh mr peanut butter just off camera notes that erica isn't allowed to vote in elections taking our error count to 10 almost out of nowhere there was a little silence there we didn't see coming um but his night doesn't end that well. He's backstage rowing with Jessica Beale uh, about the rally. Um, she notes she's about to be in quote a very important gay rights movie called "I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry." <laughs> While he still can't get big jobs, which is why he's forced to do fundraiser auctions. Uh, they fight over how close she's getting with her colleague and friend Justin. And in the tribute to the Chuck and Larry, she pronounces this marriage over and closes with Beale with it. <laughs> Which is an incredibly Mr. Peanut Butter way to end a marriage, rather than having a marriage ended on him. Uh, the camera then pulls away, just like it did in the coffee shop, uh, in a mirroring of that shot to reveal that Diane has been in the room as evidence to this row. Um, she was bringing him water in a dog bowl, of course, and he recognises her so sweetly as Blanc from the coffee shop. It's something that obviously he's taken note of, which is just a, a really nice, genuine Mr. Peanut Butter is an okay guy moment for that character. Uh, 
he's really impressed that she can cater, waiter, and be a barista and note she is a triple threat, which in uh, Hollywood speak is obviously what we know is for having the best patter around. Anyway, uh, she's impressed uh, that she put that he puts himself out for gigs like this. She sees something in him that she's got in herself, while Jessica Beale is bollocking Mr. Peanut Butter for taking any opportunities. She obviously sees something similar in the patter between Wayne and a friend about Diane taking ones to the New Yorker. They're both just trying to make a success out of something. Um, introduced himself as Mr. Peanut Butter, and there's a really cute moment here where he took Jessica Beale, her entire CV, before Diane knew who she was. But Diane notes that she does know who Mr. Peanut Butter is. She says, oh, of course I know who you are. So it speaks to that he must be doing something right with the choices that he's making. Um, Peanut Butter, again, gets a very earnest, very, you know, yin to Bojack's yang line of the week, if you want. Um, if you care what other people are doing, then you're never going to do anything. Um, they bond as he's getting changed. She's taken aback when he takes off his T-shirt to get replaced. She sees the abs. So she's still a little bit sort of, you know, starstruck, I guess, by this Hollywood actor taking his top off and being wowed a little bit by his body. Um, he's a hot dog. He's a, <laughs> he's a hot dog. Uh, she notes that her name isn't really blonde, but then in explaining it as, quote, a joke to subvert the idea of co-opting personal identity to further corporate branding, she maybe realises that she was perhaps overthinking the idea in the first place. However, Mr. Peanut Butter laughs and says, that is very funny. You should be a writer, which knowing Mr. Peanut Butter is a thing that you would never, ever get in a million years. And yet has just given her so much empowerment by suggesting that in their moment. <laughs> uh, just, <laughs> just as we think this meat cute has gone perfectly between the two of them. He leaves soon. I'll be on MySpace, and I guess I'll be seeing you around, Diana. <laughs> so, sticks the landing a little bit, but again, oh. has to, because this is like the nice version of Princess Carolyn not being able to really stick it to Bojack with a coffee thing. In a nice, perfect world, this would be a perfect moment. But Mr. Peanut Butter, the actor, has still got Diane's name wrong because it has to stay true to itself. Otherwise, I thought the coming together of these two characters across the episode, and it's not nice to talk about the falling apart of yet another Peanut Butter marriage, but the way it was done in line with the coming together of Peanut Butter and Diane was some brilliant, brilliant stuff. Yeah, I love this stuff. I love I love any episode that takes the time to kind of deliver us some backstory, particularly mm. on characters we care about, and this theirs in particular felt like the most positive, probably, mm. out of all of the things we get in this uh, previous timeline. I think it was the closest we came to a relationship existing in the Hollywood bubble that felt mutually just functional over mm. them liking each other rather than about what somebody could do for somebody else. Um, interestingly, of course, the line wasn't without its its barb and its spike, knowing what we know. Um, Diane being quite wowed by Peanut Butter's attitude of, if you worry about people, what people are going to say, uh, then you're going to get nowhere. Of course, that would form the making of their biggest split so far when mm. Diane was going on television to talk about yeah. Hank Hippopopoulos and Mr. Peanut Butter, literally worrying about what she was saying and asking to shut up how Hollywood was kind of infected the bones of what brought them together in the first place and made them hollow. Uh, it was That was sad, but it was nice to see how once they were untainted by all of that. Yeah, great stuff across the board. Like The, the long-term writing here that didn't feel super forced, I loved. We've seen so many shows that were trying to nice and neatly tie together or explain something with a, a flashback episode that maybe didn't need explaining, but I felt mm. like most of the little hits and little beats within this episode felt really, really well done, really yeah. well nuanced. Very earned. It was a, like honestly such a strong episode. This I think one of the 
um, we try not to just like editorialize. No, oh, I quite like that. Or this was one of my favorites. They're all my favorites because this show is wonderful. And there isn't a bad episode. We can say that with confidence. There are no duffers along the way. But this felt like one of the strongest so far without needing the dangerous heft of an episode 11. This hit all those same notes, albeit in 2007. Absolutely. And as long as we know that it was in 2007, I know there wasn't a <laughs> ton of uh, things to show that. Is that everything we have for? That is everything. Right. I, might, well, I might try and come up with one last thing, but yeah, okay, that's okay. just about everything. So I will apologize in advance. And I normally <laughs> do say this, but this is a long one, this one. So, and uh, people are already looking at their uh, clock going, <laughs> oh, brother. So I do apologise in advance, but let's get to it. This is the part of the show we call Horsing Around, where we go back and look through the episode and find all of the tiny little hidden meanings and small details within the episode that you might have missed, uh, that might make you laugh, that might make you cry, or that might just be well-respected. Who knows? Let's find out. We go back to the very beginning of the episode, and we have mentioned a lot in season two, the running baboon who's outside of Bojack's house. Mm -hmm. In this episode, he is pictured, uh, as we find out, it's obviously in the past, he has a running partner, an old mm. woman we are seeing that he's running up a hill with, which makes me think that maybe that old woman is dead, Michael. Yeah, there's uh, a sadness to this when you realise it's yeah. a flashback after that shot. Yeah, That's right. You're like, oh, that's nice. He's got a running partner. And then you realise, oh, no, he doesn't. That's, mm -hmm. that's Bojack Horseman in a nutshell, actually. <laughs> um, we go past the opening credits. We go to the streets of LA, and this is where it gets really long. Um, <laughs> much like the what was it, the 90s episode, I think it was, <coughs> uh, back in the day. So 90s grunge. Gene generic 90s grunge song. <laughs> Everyone in flannel. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think I'll just have to try and go through these as fast as I possibly can. Okay. A, bunch of shop, a bunch of shop names and a bunch of billboards and funny things that were happening back in 2007 on the streets of LA. It's a bunch of shops we have. We have um, Velo Tracksuits. Now with sassy butt phrases. <laughs> uh, we have a phone shop called I'll Flip For You Flip Phones. Uh, we have a spray, a spray tan place called My Chemical Spray Tan. <laughs> with the punchline, try that extra crispy look today. <laughs> uh, there's Brittany Shears Hair Salon. Oh, nice. Which kind of ties in on way too many levels with this yeah. show. Uh, and in the bottom there's a little line that says, bald is beautiful. Um, there's also a shop called Umbrella Ella Ellas. <laughs> there's also another shop called Astronaut Diaper Depot, <laughs> which has the punchline, cover your full moon. <laughs> Very cute. There's another one that's called Subway with two, e's on the, uh, two A's on the end. It says the kids eat free. There's also another shop called Naz's Big Ass Chains. <laughs> which is great another shop as well called One Hour Photo which I can only assume is in reference to the Robin Williams film which yeah. I imagine would have been around about there we also have another shop called The Washington Mutual which says refinance if you dare everything will be okay <laughs> which as we all know around this time it really wasn't mm. um, there's also a shop called 2007 T-shirt outlet and two of the T-shirts they have one is one that says lock up Paris and it's a picture of Paris Hilton. And the other one is I got a crush on Obama. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's also a shop that's literally just called Zoom. There's another in reference, obviously, to the Microsoft Zoom, I think it was, the 
uh, music player back then, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll come back to later on. There's also another shop called Circuit City, but it's shut at the moment. And there's a question mark that says, reopening soon? Who knows? <laughs> and, well, probably my favourite from them all, the Amoeba MP3s store that says, has a picture in the in the window of Fallout Koi, who are on the <laughs> lovely, lovely poster from some men who were relevant at the time. But then in sort of direct uh, counteract to the shop from back in the 90s, where it said they would buy records, CDs, cassettes, or ear tracks, this says, we don't buy records, CDs, cassettes. Oh, nice. That's all so good. How the times have changed. Uh, there's another billboard, or a couple of billboards, sorry, across the top you'll see. One of them says, don't tease me, Froyo. <laughs> <laughs> With a lightning bolt going towards some Froyo. There's also a, a movie poster for Bear Spray, which is obviously... <laughs> Hairspray the film, but it's a bear with the wig on and the full get up. <laughs> Very funny indeed. There is an advert for the TV show Eel or No Eel. <laughs> <laughs> a brilliant take on, I guess we'd say it would be Noel Edmonds, but I don't know who does the one in America, but there you go. Uh, there's it's, also it's, it's a Ryan Seacrest type, I think. It's a Ryan Seacrest type, but there's a universally accepted billboard here, I would imagine, for this time period that says, We remote straps, warehouse, nothing but straps. <laughs> Um, there's also a man uh, who's on the sideboard uh, on the sideboard on the sidewalk wearing a sign on he's like one of them guys who wears a sign on him uh, that says no job no credit no problem (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that worked out well for a lot of the people back in 2007 Mm -hmm. but then we finally get to the end and as the car transitions we meet a young Emily and a young Todd as you mentioned earlier on they are standing outside of the shop David Hasselhoff's Floor Burgers. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just incredible, incredible stuff. But around that shop, there's also two notables to mention in the background. There is the Bird Woman, who normally you'll see walking around with her family of four. We've seen her a couple of times in the last two seasons. But she is, of course, walking around by herself because she has oh, no yeah. kids at this point. And similarly, the woman we usually see walking around with the pram, who normally... Bojack steals the pram off and chucks the baby out of. Um, it's just sat there talking to a pig in a restaurant without any children. So, And presumably she doesn't stay with him because the kid ends up being a, a person kid, not a pig kid. Although, who knows? I wouldn't want to judge. You never know how it's <laughs> going to work out. Also, I love the fact that on the bottom of Todd's skateboard, you can see a couple of stickers. One of them just says, bands. And the other <laughs> one says, I love cereal, which is, of course, a lovely tie back to the fact that Todd loves cereal, mate. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you know that about him yet. Um, there's also a bunch of posters just outside the coffee shop. One of them is just a cat person holding a coffee that says, I can has coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, another poster says, hearty vegan frappes. Buy one, get one free. And uh, if we go actually in the coffee shop, we find a few more. Well, quite a lot more, actually, unfortunately, for everybody who's already having a hard time here. <laughs> we get Mr. Peanut Butter wearing a swan Dutch cap, is in, in yeah. reference to Von Dutch, of course. Got, got a, like, just as well, they knew what they had with that yeah. guy. So you yeah. see him from one side with the Dutch, and obviously yeah. the very sort of famous design of those caps, and then he turns around. They want you to be hyped for what that's going to say on the other they side. Do. The swan reveal is delicious. They build it up very good, and partnered with what I can only assume is a take on an old Ed Hardy kind of t-shirt that they used to do um, with the, it's got a skull, it's a skull and crossbones, but it's a dog skull and crossbones that says, sit, fetch, stay. (laughs) (laughs) 
which is wonderful. Anybody who's ever seen a T-shirt by Ed Hardy will know exactly what we're talking about. Um, there's also uh, the coffee boards in the background that we've seen in Starbucks before. I'm afraid we need to go through them again. Yes, please. Three big lists, three coffee boards. The first one is labelled offerings. And on that board, you will find things such as hot brown. <laughs> You'll also find fruit helpers, <laughs> along with some petrol. <laughs> You'll also see some croissant juice. Or maybe you'd like some our best drink. <laughs> <laughs> or what about a spot of mama's mocha? Or even just the the last one on the list, cup of chunks. <laughs> <laughs> but if that doesn't take your fancy, there's another board in the middle. It's called surprises, and that board consists of two potatoes. You could also <laughs> get <laughs> you can also get some mulch, which I believe is a clever tie back to, of course, Wanda from the previous season, who did the bag of mulch joke that Bojack mm. loved so much. You can also get some mint slubs. You can get some mint sleeves. You could even get some. And or even an al an algae mocha snafu, <laughs> <laughs> or what about just some gentleman's syrup? Ugh. Not sure how I feel about that. Or just if you really fancy being fancy, a dick a decaf yogurt parfait because everybody <laughs> loves parfait, as Donkey will tell you. On the, the last DVD of Shrek, <laughs> of course. On the well, let's get wrecked and get Shrek, shall we? <laughs> on the last board, there is coffee, and it says for after. For after your coffee experience, you can get yourself some tea grabs. You can maybe get an espresso, in brackets, with something done to it. Um, <laughs> you could get, as advertised on the window, a hearty vegan frappe. Maybe you'd like some coffee in a bag. <laughs> or maybe you're after some sport creme. Perhaps maybe caramel without a clue. What about, <laughs> what about some cold, dark trail mix? Or maybe, just maybe... You'd like some milk bombs in brackets, six pieces. Good. <laughs> All disastrously, disastrously ridiculous oh. things, but I imagine on a coffee board near you soon. Uh, we move over to Vega offices. And outside, initially, you'll see an aeroplane, aeroplane, uh, easy for me to say, you'll see an aeroplane flying past that spells out across the city sky, watch John from Cincinnati, it says, as it floats away. A little bit no notable thing here, Cincinnati spelled wrong. Which might come into play. <laughs> which might come into play later on. I um, wish more. I wish more people had read that skywriting as well, because I loved John from Cincinnati, and it yeah. didn't get long enough. Interesting. Well, it will pay off again in just a second. I promise. Um, film posters, though, as we get into the offices of Marv, um, we find on the wall there is one for his Squirrel Friday, which includes Cary Grant and Rosalind Russ Squirrel. Um, <laughs> there's also one for Frisky Business, which is a cat. With some sunglasses on in the background, which I thought was quite... <laughs> um, but on the first of a couple of gags here, I don't know if they do a rule of three. I think it's just a rule of two with these ones. But Marv is on the phone, and he's mid-conversation, and he says, So she kissed the girl, and she liked it? <laughs> <laughs> Before he gets interrupted, obviously, a nod to Katy Perry. Um, and then also, just thought of notable, as you mentioned, just Marv just passing on a couple of really good scripts there. No country for old men, and there will be blood because the titles are just too long. <laughs> ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, we go to Cuddly Whiskers' house next, and I just thought it was really great that his whole house is designed like one giant hamster playground or hutch, whatever you want to call it. Everything's got a tube. Everything's got a water bottle hanging from it. Wonderful stuff. 
But on his wall, of course, the poster for Krill and Grace, the little nod to Will and Grace <laughs> that we got. Uh, back on the Elias streets, just before we go into the coffee shop to see um, Diane and her friends again in the middle of the night kind of thing, uh, we see a man who is running through the street and steals a purse from a lizard who he accidentally rips the arm off the lizard woman as well on her way. Um, the guy himself is the Willie Nelson-looking criminal who we will have seen ah. in prison with Todd back when Todd is in jail in season one. And it seems that he was still up no good then. Maybe even this was the crime that put him there in the first yeah. place. Who knows? I also thought it was great that the lizard's arm just grew back because, of course, <laughs> she's a lizard and that's what they can do. Um, we go... <laughs> We go to Bojack Horseman's house, and just a quick one here, Princess Carolyn, while in his bed, is reading a book, and that book is called Eat, Spay, Love, oh. <laughs> <laughs> which is obviously a wonderful reference to Eat, Pray, Love. Um, back to the bigger offices, and again, I told you it was going to pay off, because across the city skyline, watch John from Cincinnati is being scribbled out by the plane going past again, <laughs> who obviously realised that either people didn't take to the show, or maybe the fact that Cincinnati is, of course, spelled wrong. Which that, I can only imagine it is. That spelling error is such a great catch because I was just left mournful for a minute that like that's how long it felt like it was on. Like it, was, <laughs> yeah. it felt like it was a mid-season cancellation. It was a I recommend anybody listening to this to go and track those episodes down because it was a wonderful little gift of a show that I think would probably work now, mm. given a full series run on Netflix. Mirrors Bojack in a lot of ways was just sort of like starting to really find itself, but impatient networks. Well, for a start, it had three words. Um, but obviously, networks are just too impatient to, to give it four words. I think. Oh, no, John, I was thinking of watch as well. Sorry, I'll let you off for that one. But um, it was tremendous. I think you're actually right. I think I don't think they've realized they've spelled Cincinnati wrong. I think it's an accident because I read it and went, Why is Cincinnati spelled wrong on my iPad? was what my brain was telling us <laughs> for a little while there. So I think actually, I think you've got it right. And I just think that might be a mistake. Maybe we can ask Raphael Bob Waxberg when we get him on at the end of the year, at the end of the series. We went to Parrot Mount Studios again, and we've seen it before, the gag where the uh, truck is coming into Parrot Mount. This particular truck is a truck for the company SOATS, S-O-A-T-S, which is something on a truck solutions. <laughs> <laughs> meta within meta. But then we go to the meeting room. Of course, they're getting ready for the, um, the Bojack Horseman show pitch, or Mitch's Life, as it's called at this point. Mm. Um, there's a few posters on the wall from notable shows. The Pig Bang Theory is there. All the ca- <laughs> all the cast from that done it was pigs. There's also, a po- there's also a poster for the Drunky Crow Show, which is a little nod to actually the Drinky Crow Show, which was an animated adult TV series back ah. in the day as well. Um, but something I thought that I haven't noticed before and only noticed on this wash-through, Margot Martindale is actually is part of the show as well. She is sat there at the table read for the character of Angel, but you don't see her, Michael, because you never recognise her face unless she's doing a role, and she's never mentioned once in this oh, episode. Oh, wow. How brilliant is that? I knew that was going to get you good. She turns up, she's in at least two shots, but she's never even mentioned or referenced by name at all. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and watch that to see her. That's fantastic. I miss her. That's yeah. fantastic. Absolutely. She's just sat at the table read, minding her own business, as the character Angel which I thought was rather appropriate. <laughs> um, we go to uh, the lobby of the same uh, Paramount Studios. There's another couple of posters on the wall, one for Dirty Sexy Monkey, <laughs> which I <laughs> nod to obviously Dirty Sexy Money, the TV show, but of course a monkey on the poster. And coincidentally enough, Michael, one for Koala Fornication. Oh, very nice. Which ties in perfectly to what we were talking about earlier on. 
I think it's all very notable as well that these posters are all men-driven shows pretty much. Yeah. I think that's very deliberate. Um, but then on top of that, there's also like a little gag in the background where it's either a rat or a mouse. Let's call it a mouse. Who's There's like a buffet on display and there's like a little mouse quickly eating loads like cheese dip, like cheese Doritos, I guess, in the background really fast the way only <laughs> a mouse could. I thought that was very cute. We cut back to Diane's family home as well at one point, which is on the phone talking to my mom. And I just thought it was great. We obviously get to see her dad alive for the first time, mm. I think. Uh, and he's actually eating some ice cream. It's called Hagen Dazs, and it's got a picture of a pig on the front as opposed to Hagen Dazs, which we're so used to, of course. And uh, back to Paramount Studios, some weird, weird stuff going on here. We get a little bit in the studio a lot where there's like two actors outside talking to each other. One is a man dressed as a bumblebee who is talking to a bee person who I assume is a set worker, a worker bee, mm-hmm. but he's talking in buzz to the bee. So he's like going, <laughs> buzz, 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 buzz. Buzz, 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 um, which does so many layers to that. But also in the background is um, there's a character dressed as Spider-Man, but it's actually a spider person because they've got eight arms and they're obviously <laughs> So some weird stuff going on there. In one hand, they've got people dressed as bees, but spiders dressed as Spider-Man, even better. Um, a wonderful sign as well as they walk past one of the studio doors that just says, when the red light is on, we are definitely not in the middle of something, Derek. <laughs> I just thought that was such a pointed sign brilliant stuff I think you've got it wrong there Derek mate unfortunately <laughs> and one thing I particularly loved obviously given the fact that um, we have all already seen that Marv passed on the script for There Will Be Blood of course in that we get uh, Daniel Plainfield or Plainview wherever he is um, who basically says I'm an oil man and all that skin but Princess Carolyn references this as she's talking to Bojack and Cuddly Whiskers. She says, I'm an oil man. I drink your milkshake, which is, of course, a wonderful gag that references a wonderful gag from Bill Hader that he does on SNL. And he actually did it in 2008, I think it was, where he is obviously taking the mick out of the characters from There Will Be yes. Blood. So jokes within jokes within jokes. Yeah, wonderful stuff. By the way, if you have never seen Bill Hader do his joke take on There Will Be Blood, Pause this podcast and go and do it right now. It's that goddamn funny. Um, Vigor officers, we go back there. Marv is on the phone once again, a continued gag. He says, what's that you say? There's a panic at the disco. (laughs) (laughs) Which completes another little nod towards the songs of the time. There's one more as well, but I'll get to that in just a second. Not from Marv either. Um, But also, I just thought it was really funny that the whole thing of his suitcase, he just gets the suitcase out and just puts a corded telephone, a corded telephone, (laughs) an ashtray and a cigar inside. Brilliant stuff. Uh, We go back to Cuddly Whiskers' house, and Bojack makes reference to the kind of character he wants to be. He says he wants to be the kind of character that Dennis Leary would be offered and then say, no way, that character's too edgy for me, of course. Dennis Leary, famously known for the show Rescue Me, which he was the co-creator of, the uh, as a, a New York firefighter, I believe they, they play in that show. But that's you've, you've seen him in a million things, Dennis Leary, if you don't know the name. Always that kind of character who maybe likes to keep things on the safe side, perhaps. Uh, John Edwards, we go to the John Edwards campaign auction fundraiser here. And boy, oh boy, have we got some layers with this one, <laughs> Mr. Hamlet. First of all, there's a brilliant gag where it's the signage, so we do a cut to another two months as it pulls out and we see the Another Two Months Later Foundation <laughs> is the name of the sign. Maybe a prelude to Mr. Peanut Butter getting these signs from these people. Who knows? Yeah. Um, you'll notice that the art that is being auctioned there is very similar to, uh, it's a shark in a tank with some swimming trunks on a shark person, I should point out, which is obviously a nod 
to the Damien Hurst piece where we also see a shark within a tank. We'll get back to that in just a second. Um, but he also said that in the middle of his speech endorsing John Edwards, he says, such a great guy. I was talking to one of the volunteers earlier and she was just gushing about how John Edwards touched her, um, which we might as well get into because for anybody who knows about John Edwards, he was the former US senator who ran for president in 2008, as we're seeing here, as Peanut Butter is endorsing him. But that touched her reference goes back to, he was involved in quite a scandal, uh, involved in an extramarital affair with Riel Hunter, who was, as Wikipedia will tell us, uh, a former campaign worker of his, which I guess could even suggest she might be <laughs> the woman who suggests that he was the guy who touched her. But nevertheless, there is more to this, as you brilliantly uh, revealed, but I'm going to take it as my own and dive further <laughs> into it, uh, because if you find out what Riel Hunter's real name is, Riel's real name, I guess we'll call it, uh, she is in fact Lisa Druck. Now, interesting that they decided to use this politician and Riel Hunter and her backstory, because Lisa Druck, as she was once called, uh, we are told about some fascinating stuff to do with her and her lineage, shall we say. And it turns out, in one of the most bizarre and really, really dark connections we could possibly make here. It says, according to ABC News, Lisa Druck was a prize-winning equestrian when her father was implicated in the horse murders scandal. Oh. An ugly plot, an ugly plot to electrocute horses for insurance money. The convicted criminal and FBI informant Tommy the Sandman Byrne stated that James Druck was involved in the 1982 insurance fraud death of Lisa's show jumper, Henry the Hawk. Now, listen, they could have picked anybody here, couldn't they? They could have yeah. picked absolutely anybody to bring into this. They've chosen John Edwards, and I don't think it's an accident that they've let us go down the rabbit hole, or the horse hole in this case, and find that real Hunter is attached to literal horse murderers. Oh. Uh, which, <laughs> I mean, it's just the layers of that are too much. But here's another layer for you, if you weren't already ready. Remember when I was talking about that Damien Hurst piece of art from before? Mm -hmm. What's the name of that piece, Michael? The name of the piece is The Physical Impossibility of Death in the mind of someone living. Jesus Christ, can we get off this section and move on? My word, that is just hats off to the creators there for yep. going that deep for nerds like us. At the same place, though, at the same um, the auction, you will also see at a bunch of tables, there's an anteater who's sitting with an ant at the dinner table, and eventually from a few cutbacks and forth, the ant start, anteater starts trying to suck the arm off of the anteater who they're at the table <laughs> with, obviously, because they're an anteater. I don't know if you know about that. And funnily enough as well, the shark who's in the tank isn't actually dead because later on the shark is banging on the glass to try and get out of the tank, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. And of course, as you mentioned, we got our 10th Erica of the season. Um, then we go to Emily's parents' bedroom. As we cut in there, as Todd and here are on the bed, you see a humongous, massive zoom attached with an equaliser playing on it, which obviously, as I mentioned, right. we would come back to it. A nice nod to what was going to be the future of music until yeah. Apple and iPods just completely monopolised the whole damn thing. Still holding out on Sony Walkmans, but there you go. <laughs> um, Todd and Emily, of course, as we said, swap hats in the middle of him rushing out of her place, and that happens to be the hat he keeps forever and informs, so I guess we could call it, the origin story of his hat, Michael. Mm. A tale of two hatties. Yeah, <laughs> that'll do. Listen, it's really, it's really late. Let me go. Um, also, a brilliant, I'm going to re redeem myself here with a brilliant bit of foreshadowing. And as not, well, I guess foreshadowing, but technically a nod to a previous episode from the future. Because as Todd is in the room and about to have to shimmy out the window, he says uh, just as well that he loves shimmying to, um, to Emily as he gets the Sopranos 
uh, tape and jumps out the window. But this is a callback because we already knew that Todd loved Shimmy and I was already feeling pretty safe he was going to be all right because he's with Princess Carolyn in season two, episode four, when Vincent Adelman comes to knock on the door and explain everything about who he is and who that kid was. She's worried that he's going to go off the handle. So she gets Todd to jump out the window and he says, well, it's just as well I love Shimmy and Princess Carolyn. Oh, very good. And he out the window so we Great know catch. that his, his love of Shimmy and goes all the way back to them, um, to this, I should say. Um, and of course, Todd accidentally stealing, if you like, the real ending of Sopranos was a brilliant touch. Um, Bojack's house again, we cut back just before the premiere of his new uh, TV show. We see him talking to Jorge Garcia, who is, of course, Haley, the actor from Lost. Interesting that Bojack's talking to a guy who was on our show called Lost, but that's a whole other kettle of fish. Um, <laughs> but funnily enough, Haley's just about to explain the ending to Bojack, and he's cut short before he does so. As he says, so the whole thing was purgatory, right? And he says, well, and then obviously he tails off. <laughs> yes. We could do Mr. Peanut Butter's dressing room, as he's talking to uh, Jessica Biel and Diane. But um, most notably here, you've mentioned already the, uh, I now pronounce you Chuck and Laurie nod from Jessica Biel. She also says, as Justin would say, cry me a river, as she storms out, <laughs> uh, which is, of course, in reference to real life husband at one point, Justin yeah. Timberlake, is that correct? Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, his music career. Um, you've also mentioned, of course, Blonde coming in, Blonde, or Diane, as we know her, coming in with the dog bowl full of water, which I just thought was a great <laughs> little touch. And the expression on her face, if you go back and watch that again, as she realises she's stepped in the middle of a literal beginning of a divorce, the animation on her face is amazing. She's like really absolutely mortified that she's actually in the same room. Brilliant <laughs> stuff. And I did mention we weren't done with the old pop songs references, and here we are, as Peanut Butter takes off his shirt, what does um, Diane say? She says, Hey there, Delilah. Of course, nice. a reference to the Plain White Tees, the song from back in the day. We're nearly done, I promise. Nearly done. <laughs> Bojack Horseman's house, we go back. Um, and Cuddly Whiskers, I thought this was hilarious. Him just saying to Bojack, Bojack, this shit is bananas. B-N-N-A-S. <laughs> of course, in reference to Gwen Stefani's song from back then, which is literally called, shit, parentheses, bananas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which took them ages to do. And... The end credits, Michael, are incredible here. The song actually changes mm. at the end. We are, of course, used to the song that says, back in the 90s, I was in a very famous TV show. But if you waited long enough, and I will read you the lyrics as they are written, this is what we get instead. And the whole song sounds much flatter as well. It doesn't quite hit the way that our wonderful theme song does as well, which is taken from the end credits of yeah. Bojack. The lyrics are, back in 07, I was in a not successful TV show. I'm Bojack the Horse. What the hell was I thinking, bro? <laughs> when you're an artist, yeah, it's hard to play it safe. That show stumbled hard right out the starting gate. Wonder if I'm ever going to get another chance. Maybe a listicle at best. Yeah, I'm not a horse. I'm an ass. <laughs> Brilliant. And when you hear them guys playing the song, I forget the name of the band. Please don't chastise me. You can write it in the comments below. I should have just done your homework there, but I've missed it on this particular occasion. But... Brilliant from them. Another great version of the song. And that is everything for horsing around from me. But I'm not going to waste any time. Let's transition straight into, of course, one last thing. And then I swear to God, we'll shut up about this podcast forever. Would you like to go first this week? Go on, then. Go because on, I've, got a, I've got a bit of a revelation for you, Nicholas. Oh, good. I'm looking forward to this. It better this... be good because these poor people have been here for a long time. I apologize. This is going to be the longest episode, I think, ever, maybe. Almost. Uh, they have been made to wait, but after reviewing 
some of his misgivings and some of his unprofessionalism, I am here to report to you that Marv is right. In this episode, that's right, in this episode, he, of course, seems very lazy and seems to not be taking his job seriously when he suggests that no country for old men and there will be blood won't work because they have more than two words. Might he be referring to smash success horsing around, which itself might have been the reason why, in real life, we'll ask him when he comes on for the finale, Raphael Bobswaxberg was required to call this show Bojack Horseman and call It's Not That Successful Pilot, Bojack Horseman, The Bojack Horseman Story, Chapter 1. Was this meta within meta within meta that all the successful things really are just two words? Mitch's life was going to be a huge hit. <laughs> yeah, it was. The Bojack Horseman show was not. They have laboured on titles in the past, obviously, that have been absolute disasters for the various key players in the show. And then suddenly you always fall back on a horsing around for the most obvious example of one where was Mitch right all along and is Hollywood so goddamn stupid that people really can't take more than two words, even if those two words aren't always beautiful girls. Um, I just thought that was such a unique reference point for every single time that something within Bojack Horseman has used an obnoxiously long titling convention instead of the more obvious conventional two-worded one. Now, I would be remiss to point out to you here, my friend, that as two people who do a podcast about Bojack Horseman that is in fact called Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, <laughs> which we should say was deliberately chosen as ironic in reference to actually the first episode in our, our weird take on Bojack Horseman, the Bojack Horseman story, chapter one. We didn't think we'd get away with that much. But uh, also, SEO always helps, doesn't it? Always helps, mm-hmm. as one of my colleagues pointed out, because it's you, Michael, because you're the only other one here. <laughs> um, but I will say that was ours was tongue-in-cheek, but you do get the feeling there's maybe some definite nod here from RBW to say, like, actually, I've been through a lot of shows, and maybe they're right. Maybe that <laughs> is the case, the winning formula. Still, Podcast Horseman's good enough for me, and I think that'll do. Two words. And that's mostly what people are going to refer to us as. But I tell you what, Michael, you've kind of teamed me up somewhat nicely for this because in another meta reference, I think we got a brilliant um, summation, maybe, of this entire show, uh, which ironically came at a time when it couldn't have been more wrong about another show. (laughs) (laughs) But you mentioned it before, and I'm going to re-quote it and uh, use it and recontextualize it for you. But... This show, Michael, Bojack Horseman, that we all love. You know what it is? I can't promise you that everyone is going to love it. But no matter what, people are going to remember it. Five to ten years from now, this show, Bojack Horseman, will so people will associate it with you. That's you, Michael Hamlet, and maybe even me. <laughs> and you'll be glad they do, because this show is real. And it's edgy. It's different. A lesser talent couldn't have pulled it off, Raphael Bob Waxberg. But I'm willing to bet on Bojack Horseman and Raphael Bobakberg. Are you? Because I definitely am. And I just thought that quote, taken away from its context and applied to this show, to Bojack Horseman, the actual real show of Bojack Horseman, couldn't have been truer. 
It could not have been truer. And I am willing to bet on Bojack Horseman. And I would stake my entire reputation, not that I have anyone in particular, on this show and on a podcast about this show because it's that damn good. Because Bojack Horseman is better than the show you love. What a wonderful confidence in the writing to even allow us to read into it in such a way as well. Magnificent. What a spot. Absolutely brilliant stuff. But that really is everything now. I'm sorry again. I'm going to keep apologising because I keep looking at the clock and I know this has been long. And <laughs> I am hot and sweaty because we are stuck in apartments where we can't open windows for the noise of the audio. Shut up, Adam. Get on with the plugging, will you? Anyway, you can follow this podcast on Twitter or Instagram at Podcast Horseman. If you would like to do that, please do give us a follow. You can also follow either of your hosts on Twitter. You can follow me at It's Adam Nicholas or you can follow my colleague, Michael Hamflit. At Michael Hamflit, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. You can follow on Spotify. You can listen on Acast or Play. You can subscribe on there as well. You can listen on Stitcher. You can listen on Zoom, on Winamp, on Napster back in 2007. Absolutely everywhere you get your podcasts. Through a potato if you're getting used to the production quality while we're all still socially distanced. And you can leave us some feedback to get yourself a place on the Hollywood Talk of Fame. Or new for season three, if you've already left us some feedback or you can't through your various podcast player, you can retweet the podcast link that gets tweeted out every Friday at the at Podcast Horseman Twitter account. Um, you'll see that one dropping uh, about Friday morning UK time. If you retweet that tweet, as we talked about last week, you'll be entered into a random draw and we will give you a shout out in this slot here where you will get your own start on the Hollywood Talk of Fame as a thank you for that retweet. We're going to go for a retweet instead of feedback this week to get this idea off the ground. And I'm going to do one from the random draw of the people who tweeted now, very fittingly, because it speaks to my position in my life at the moment. Congratulations to Dad Attitude at DDEM on 888. Thank you very much for your retweet of last week's episode. A star will be winging its way on the Hollywood Talk of Fame, probably through Twitter and over Instagram, all these with socials. And if you want to enter into next week's random draw, just retweet this week's episode for a chance at getting your own. Of course, you can still leave feedback for all traditional ways, something nice, something nasty, something, anything you want, really, just to get us all talking ourselves horse about talking horse. Helps us appear in charts, helps us get spotted, helps more people listen to this podcast. A new inductee coming next week. Absolutely. Great stuff. And thank you to everybody who's already interacted. And I promise... This weekend, you have my word, there is a huge batch of these coming for all the people in the back catalogue we have. It has been a wild couple of months, but we will get them up there for you, including maybe some changes for the new ones. We haven't decided yet. Still teasing that one. Still teasing it. This is going to be a long payoff, this. Um, but let's quickly talk about what's going to be happening next week uh, on the next episode of Bojack Horseman Season 3. We mentioned the horse made us, Michael. Well, bloody hell, look at the name of this next episode. It's called... Bojack kills. <gasps> Good Lord, perhaps a retaliation. The horse made us, who knows? <laughs> or maybe not. As the synopsis tells us, Bojack is framed for the murder of a whale world dancer. Mr. Peanut Butter and Todd get into a stinky situation with the skunk <laughs> next door. Like only Mr. Peanut Butter and Todd could. What's going to happen? Well, you'll have to tune in next week to find out. Anyway, thank you for your patience and bearing with us. I I've been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamflet. And this has been Podcast Horseman. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.